Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. We did it. We made it to another weekend. Coming up, it only took 50 years, but Judy Bloom's classic novel, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, is now a major motion picture, and we are going to talk to the director. I must! We must! We must increase our bust! But first, now is our chance to unwind from the week that was with two excellent humans. With us this week, we have Nyla Boodoo. She's the host of the podcast Axios today. Nyla, welcome back. Thank you for having me. We also have here Ingu Kang, TV critic for The New Yorker. Ingu, hello. Hi. So it is almost May, which means that spring is closer than ever before, whether or not it is also occasionally hailing in your neck of the woods, as it definitely has in Chicago in the past week. So we thought it would be fun this week to get some recommendations from each of you for things to maybe do inside as we're still like waiting for things to improve outside. So that means we asked each of you to bring ideas of something to watch, listen to, and read. Let's start with watch, because especially you, Ingu, this is like very much in your vein of expertise. And I'm always curious what you are watching and loving these days. What do you got for us? So my favorite show of the year so far is a show that I feel like no one is watching. And so I am just like out on a press tour right now begging people to watch it. It is HBO's Rain Dogs, which just wrapped up its entire season on HBO. So you can go find it like in its full on HBO Max. It is a, I guess it's a half hour dramedy. If you are like me, you like things that are very sad and also very funny, you know, sort of like in that Bojack Horseman vein. And this is a show a live action show set in London. It is also a BBC show um, about a really toxic friendship between a single mom of like a nine-year-old girl uh, played by Daisy Mae Cooper and her gay best friend um, who is played by Jack Farthing. And basically it's sort of about like how their relationship is really intertwined with like their love for her daughter. And yet at the same time, They are a toxic enough pair that they, you know, like physical violence isn't really like unheard of in their relationship. Hmm. And when the show starts off, uh, the gay best friend, Selby, he has just been released from prison for eh, severe assault. And Costello, our main character, is sort of this woman who really wants to be a writer and sort of like wants to put her working class perspective out there. And sort of has to like balance balance that like creative desire with like just a day-to-day reality of having to be a single mom who supports her kid 
I think that yeah. like, you know, we're constantly exposed to these like sort of role model female characters. And mm. it's just like interesting watching something that feels really intensely real. And yet at the same time, just like the kind of thing that like you don't really see uh, on TV very often. I-, I wrote a review of this and I sort of called it Will and Grace with Fists, but also better <laughs> jokes. Um, so if that remotely sounds like your kind of thing, I really encourage people to give it a try. It's called Rain Dogs. I am really intrigued by that. And I had not heard about it until I saw your review. Nyla, was this on your radar at all, that one? Not at all. Are you intrigued? I am. I feel like the violence is like mm. a little off-putting. Um Maybe not a little off-putting. <laughs> it is off-putting. Yeah. <laughs> it's not fist spice every episode. It's not. It's just like one of those things where when it gets really bad, they're just people who have a lot of trouble expressing themselves. Hmm. But yeah, it sounds fascinating. It really does. What are you watching these days? So I am going to out myself as a Trekkie and <laughs> say that I've been super disappointed by... I like I don't even watch Discovery anymore. I just mm. I think I stopped like two seasons ago. I didn't finish the second season of Picard. And then a friend of mine was like, no, you have to watch the third season. It's really good. And so I started watching it and it is really good. It's sort of like what Star Trek should be, which is in my mind, like the Orville. Like, I feel like the Orville has recaptured like what Star Trek should have been. And wow. Picard has now done that, I think, pretty effectively, sadly, by like basically just bringing back the whole cast of the next generation, minus Will Wheaton, huh. which is kind of sad that oh. he's not in it. But um, it's just like I feel like it's very nostalgic. But the other thing I really like about it, I just finished it this week and I think it actually finished last week. So I think I'm on like time with people. I just kind of caught up watching most of it this past week is I really like the storyline of like how they're all old and they all own that. I'm going to spoiler free this. Hmm. So there's a plot line at the end just about how the old age is actually a bonus for um, like what they're dealing with. And so it just Hmm. I, I really liked that. Like I like how they were just all sort of owning their age and like a lot more funny, I feel like, than the actual next generation was. The real final frontier. I mean, it is. It's the final frontier. I mean, I don't want to reach that final frontier, but fairly gracefully, they did this. Okay, so what about reading? Nyla, what are you reading these days? So I just finished. I love this book. It's called River Sing Me Home um, by Eleanor Mm. Shearer. It came out in January. The author is Mm -hmm. British. And so I think it was Mm. definitely one of those that has been across the pond and gotten more publicity there than here. What I really loved about it is it's a fictional account of this woman, Rachel, who basically is a slave in Barbados in 1834 when they are emancipated. But Hmm. it's basic. It's based on the historical fact of like when these slaves were emancipated, they basically were like all the slave masters were like, but you're still an apprentice, which really Hmm. effectively did not give them any sort of freedom. So she runs away to find her children, five of her children who are sold. And then she basically goes from Barbados to Guyana and then to Trinidad. Um, And so for the listeners who don't know, my family is from Trinidad. Like it was so interesting to read about like Trinidad 
in the 1800s, the mid 1800s, which is before my family, my family came from India to Trinidad in like the 1890s, like post-slavery. But this is like, it was so interesting to just read the story of this one woman's journey. And it's based on fact in terms of like different communities of like escaped slaves that like went off into different forests. Like, you know, this happened all throughout the Caribbean, like these different communities of people who lived free and hidden in like different rainforests or mountains. And it's just like such a wrenching story of a mother, how she's reuniting with her children and how she tries to do that. Um, It just, I really loved it. That's fascinating. Yeah, that sounds like a beautiful book. So Ingu, what are you reading these days? Well, to switch gears entirely. (laughs) (laughs) From slavery? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So if you are really into succession, but you feel like you need some more succession drama, and then the whole like Murdoch Carlson stuff wasn't enough for you. uh, I mean, I guess it wasn't enough for me. I read the book (laughs) recently, um, a book that came out this year, Unscripted, The Epic Battle for a Media Empire and the Redstone Family Legacy. Oh my god. I also read this. It is completely insane. And it it is like terrifying how close to succession it is in a number of ways. (laughs) The way that like I actually got, got into this book, which a friend recommended, was she was telling me that Sumner Redstone, like the guy who used to own CBS and the Paramount movie studio and probably a whole whole bunch of other things. A lot of movie theaters. Yes. He was so rude to his daughter, calling her like the C word in public with other people around that apparently Donald Trump told him, dude, like, calm down. Like, you need to be nicer to your daughter. (laughs) This story is also in the book. And I thought, my God, who is this monster? And where can I know everything about him? And this book will tell you every last detail about him. Partly what I thought was so funny about it is that it's it's written by two like award winning New York Times journalists. So it's very and it's like reported out in a very dry fashion, I think. But the stuff they're talking about is, yes, like cursing at your daughter or like, you know, this old man who constantly wants to have sex with women who are like his grandson's age. And like, it's so salacious. But the the tone of it is so hilariously dry that I just like that contradiction I thought was super funny and fascinating. I wouldn't say it's dry. I think I would say it's straightforward, but I think it's sort of structured almost like a thriller. So (laughs) you just have to keep going. It's (laughs) so sordid and yet so fascinating. And then, you know, when you feel a little bit too grimy, you can say, well, I'm learning about business here. So really, this is like a good use of my time. <laughs> you re- you're selling this, though. It really, I want to okay, read this. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I would also love to know what each of you is listening to. And this could be very broad. This could be like a podcast or a new album or I guess maybe even an audio book or something. Um, Nyla, let's start with you again. What are you listening to? So I am like totally into Afrobeats right now. Mm. I don't know why this happened. Oh, I know why it happened because I was in Miami and like very surprised at how much Afrobeats is like playing on the radio mm-hmm. in Miami and kind of was like, oh, this is so interesting. And then went down a little like rabbit hole of like Burner Boy and Fireboy DML. And I'm fascinated by the fact that like Afro Nation is like doing hip hop festival in Miami 
over Memorial oh, wow. Day weekend, which I feel like is like such an interesting cultural sign of how much Afrobeats has become mainstream if they're basically going to be like the headliner for Hip Hop Weekend in Miami over mm-hmm. Memorial Day. Wow. I feel like it's the perfect antidote to um, working as daily news. <laughs> so. That makes sense. Is there like a specific artist or song that we should check out? You know, I was listening to Fireboy DML when I was coming in. There's a song Bandana that I really like. These are not new. I sure. think they are new to me. Yeah. Like, Love Now One TT is, like, on the radio in Miami, like, every 30 seconds. And that was, like, a big hit, like, a year or two ago, right? I really like that song. Okay, cool. Ingu, what about you? I'm going to recommend an oldie but a goodie. Um, I just sort of recently got back into You Must Remember This, the podcast by Karina Longworth. Yeah. She is currently in a season about the erotic 90s. That's like (laughs) what the season is called. And it's just been like a really interesting travel back in time to a era apparently where Julia Roberts was a really pro- a controversial star and people were like I don't know does she wow. really deserve to be famous is she even acting or is she just like being herself Did people oh, say that yes I mean like some of the like you know primary sources that Karina brings in really really fascinating um the most recent episode I really loved was the discussion of Thelma and Luis and the context of like 1992 1993 Um, And, of course, people were going absolutely insane (laughs) uh, over that movie uh, because people were like, well, like, I don't know, maybe like they went too far. And so the fact that there was this sort of like year long debate over like what this movie meant and what it sort of was supposed to say about feminism and what it said about rape and like what is like the proper punishment for rape. And is it really feminist if they're not sort of these like role modelish characters? Mm. Um, because Thelma and Louise like put themselves into this sort of issue. I mean, there were lots of people who came at it from lots of different angles. But I think, you know, now we have these like extremely canonical movies and to sort of like go back in time and try to figure and to look back at like how people try to grapple with this in terms of the eh, probably like arguably dying feminist movement at the time. I think it's fascinating. Cannot recommend more highly. That sounds fascinating. It does sound really interesting. I think so much of it is like you know, with in hindsight, so much of it seems so inevitable, you know, like you think about the Julia Roberts thing, and it's like, of course, she's going to become this amazing icon who, you know, stars in a cute George Clooney rom-com about going to Bali. Like, obviously, that's going to happen all the time. (laughs) Wearing the cutest jumpsuits Yes, exactly. Yeah. But to think about, you know, of course, that perspective just didn't exist at that point. It's super interesting. Well, and thank you both for coming on with such great notions of things for people to do. We really appreciate you. You should. <laughs> Always so fun. Thanks, Greta. After the break. Hey there, God. It's me, Margaret. We talk to the director of the new film adaptation of the Judy Bloom classic. 
Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret was originally a book by Judy Bloom. It came out in 1970 and it is very well loved. It has never been made into a movie until now. It's about Margaret in her sixth grade year, which is a really big year for her. She has to start at a whole new school. And we found this great house. Oh, the best Where? house, the best house. Well, that's the thing. We we got really lucky. New and- Jersey. Ah. Jersey? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. She's also navigating all the joys of puberty. You hold your arms out like this and you say, I must, I must, I must increase my bust. I must, I must, I must increase my bust. And on top of that, her sixth grade research project is on religion, which is a very fraught topic in her household. Hey there, God. It's me, Margaret. I'm a little nervous, actually, about being alone, so... Can you just not let anything really horrible happen? The film stars Abby Ryder Fortson as Margaret, along with the incredible Rachel McAdams and Kathy Bates as her mother and grandmother. Kelly Freeman Craig wrote and directed the film, and she is with me in the studio now. Kelly, welcome to Nerdette. Thank you so much for having me. This movie was so sweet. I loved it so much. You captured so much about that moment in time, and it, it feels like such a, such a, like, honoring adaptation of the book too oh thank you i love the book so much i've loved it since i was 11 and then when i rewrite it as an adult i i fell in love with all sorts of new aspects things that i did not even recollect from reading it as a kid it's so it's been exciting to give it give it sort of a new life it's so funny, I think, interacting with that story from an adult perspective. Mm-hmm. I remember also reading it and loving it as probably an 11-year-old, but I haven't gone back to it at all since then. Yeah. And that idea of just, like, being so desperate for your period to start with the perspective now of being like, when on earth will this end, <laughs> yes. think, you know, is something that comes up in the movie, too, right? Like, yes. there's this tension between Margaret and her mom. Yeah. Like, the bra thing yeah. when her mom is like, do you need a bra? Right. Do you? And Margaret's mortified because yeah. it's mortifying, but, like, the minute she puts one on she is like oh i want to take this off right. it's like yeah girl <laughs> it just gets a lot weirder exactly <laughs> okay all right can i see how's that feel i cannot wait to take it off yeah welcome to womanhood This show is very bookish. And Mm -hmm. so we end up talking a lot about adaptations. We actually did like a whole episode all about kind of the art of adapting a book onto Mm. the screen. Fascinating. And it was really interesting. And the theme that ended up coming up from a lot of different people was the idea that like a good film adaptation ends up kind of feeling like a cover song. Yeah. Where like it can't be like beat for beat every single thing that happens on the page. You have to kind of honor the vibe and like bring as much of that to it as you can. Mm -hmm. But there are things you inherently kind of have to leave behind. That I think you articulated that so well because that that's exactly 
where I started was just how do I deliver the spirit of the book? And, and, and my constant question was, does it make me feel the way the book made me feel, even, even as I was changing things or adding things, you know? When I discovered that, and it took me a, it took me a while, the first couple of weeks of writing this, I was just like paralyzed because I – Every change I made felt like a betrayal of her work, you know, but then I but then I realized it actually a too literal adaptation betrays. The yes. Book. Yeah. Um, it's really it's really more that you have to deliver its spirit. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. This wasn't the first time that book was optioned, right? I mean, it's been out for 50 years. No, it was. She Judy did not want to have it ever be adapted. Wow. Yeah, I think she was just she was worried about somebody screwing it up. I mean, really, I I think mostly she was worried that somebody would make it too glossy and sort of like Mm. sanitize it, you know? And I, and what she is, does so beautifully is give you the full picture, including the mess. So that was important to her that that came through. Did you ever think about putting it in modern day? Never. Why not? Not even for two seconds. (laughs) I, you know, I just... First of all, I I wanted to do a really faithful adaptation. I knew that. And second of all, I actually think there's something about being a girl this age today, going and seeing it and realizing that what you are going through, girls went through 50 years ago. Your mom went through. Your grandma went through. All women throughout history went through. There's something about that that is connecting, that, that is reassuring somehow. I mean, that's what it makes me feel. Totally. No, there is a timelessness to it that's both like infuriating and hilarious. Yeah. I think, you know, I think yeah. especially about like the sex ed class periods. And like oh, I yeah. wasn't a teenager in 1970. Mm-hmm. I was a teenager, you know, maybe like 20 years after that mm-hmm. or a little later even. Mm-hmm. But like it felt the same. It's all just as confusing. Like it's so utterly relatable. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. I read it for the first time in 1990 and I had uh-huh. no idea it w- I, I would have thought it was written that same year. Yeah. And I think that's just a testament to her writing and that she wrote with such honesty and specificity that that it's like it do- it, it feels true every decade, mm. you know, which is such a feat. It's a magic trick. It I really don't know is. how she did it. You know? She does seem like a magician. She really does. She really does. So speaking of sex ed, there's a really hilarious menstruation video in this film. <laughs> All girls are unique, but sometime between the ages of 9 and 16, one very special thing happens to every girl. Menstruation. Did you make that? Yes. <laughs> well, yes, yes. We pull uh, there uh, we pulled pieces from things that actually exist. Oh like part God. of it is something that actually existed. Yes, and then we created part of it. My my most favorite part was creating the terribly cheesy music that goes along with it. It's just, I just, it just makes me laugh every time. It's so earnest and, you know. I really loved the like title screen of it, which says menstruation. And then there's like an outline of a woman with a giant question mark, like inside her body. It's like, yeah, that tracks. Yes, exactly. Yes. So so you mentioned reading the book again as an adult. Mm -hmm. Um, as someone who hasn't read it in a really long time, how much of that like parent drama that we see in the movie exists in that source text? So Barbara is actually 
Barbara and Sylvia are really where I took the most license. Barbara, for, Margaret's mom. Yeah, and Margaret's Sylvie. mom and Margaret's grandma. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I wanted to see what would happen if we spent more time with them. And we, we asked, like, what are they going through? I like the idea of all three of these generations going through life transitions in tandem and showing that we're kind of always on that trajectory. I mean, I feel like I'm 42 and I feel like I'm constantly on this kind of coming of age trajectory. <laughs> Every time I have to step into a new role, I feel like an awkward 12-year-old yep. all over again. Yep. And so it was interesting to me to think about how these women, her mom and grandma, were also dealing with their own, you know, their own things, their own changes. You know, a, a lot of that was new. I thought it was really sweet. I And they were, I mean, speaking of casting, Rachel McAdams and Kathy Bates. I mean, oh, my God. Yes. They yeah. were both phenomenal. I Yeah. Rachel, Rachel is so... I, she made me cry behind the monitors. I feel like every day. I mean, even even not even. It wasn't even that she was doing a scene that was particularly sad. It was just she could render the truth in a way that just like slayed me. You know, where I was just like, that is it, and it just made me emotional. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, and she's so and she's so funny. And Kathy is so funny. Throughout the whole thing. She's that, amazing. That scene with her and Margaret in her bed after they're yes! in the slumber party. And it's like the most charming thing. Yes. I loved that so much. Yeah. You are fabulous. I had the best time tonight. It was you, amazing. You are a great date, Toots. Oh, my gosh. You are. <laughs> oh, lordy, lordy. When I see her in that scene, I'm like, I want that grandma. I want <laughs> yeah. that relationship. I want to be in that bed, you know? <laughs> I yeah. I watched the movie yesterday afternoon and I've still thought about that scene probably like four or five times. It's just, it's she's just so, so lovable there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So one thing I was thinking about, too, was how you navigated religion in this in this film, which obviously mm-hmm. is a big part of the book. I mean, yeah. the title of it is Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Mm-hmm. Um you know, speaking of the book taking place in the 70s, I do think that was a time in American history where families did go to church or any religious service more regularly than they do now. Mm-hmm. Did you wonder, like, how that would land to, like, 12-year-olds today? Well, I will say a big part of why I wanted to make the film was her spiritual search. I found it really fascinating. And 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 in particular, what I found fascinating was that it's during adolescence when you're going through all this uncertainty and everything is changing and it's scary. It's during that period of change that you reach out for something greater. You know, I think that that makes so much sense to me. And when I think about it, I was that age when I started to ask, like, is there anything out there? You know, like, is anyone in charge? Can someone help me, please? please help me. <laughs> Things are getting crazy down here, you know? Um, and and I, did, and I didn't grow up with organized religion mm. either. And so I love that she's trying to carve out her own sense of something greater beyond us. And she doesn't know how she feels about it. And, and, and her search... And her feelings evolve over the course of the film. And that was just something I really I just found really resonating and, and that, I, that I don't think gets explored in, you know, in Hollywood movies. 
I also love that this is a coming of age movie that isn't about like her growing boobs and getting contact lenses and like <laughs> and then and, right you know hooking yes, up with the cute emerging boy at the end. like a, a, the swan. I yeah. guess contacts didn't exist in the seventies, probably. But right. you know what yes. I mean? It's oh right, like, totally, exactly. You, know, you comb out your frizzy hair, <laughs> take off your glasses, and then yeah, exactly. And then life is great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I think, I mean, obviously, I think we're seeing more and more of those these days, but it yeah. still is, like, shockingly refreshing to I, see that. Well, yeah, because I I grew up with exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, those the she's movies. all that's and That's the, exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. I think it's part of the reason I love Judy Bloom. Yeah. Because it felt like she was she was the antidote to a lot of that type of stuff. She was She was telling the truth. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And her stuff could get very sexy. Very sexy. <laughs> Very sexy. Oh yeah, I'm actually I'm reading um, summer summer sisters. Ooh. I actually never yeah. read before. Oh, I'm gosh. reading it for the first time. Amazing. Um, yeah, and I'm like, whoa, it's this steamy. is getting this is yeah, wow. Yeah, <laughs> I love that about. I love. I think it takes such bravery to yeah. write that honestly and not hold back on any. That's part of why I love her. It's part of why I admire her. Yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah. So. My sense, I mean, I got to interview her a couple of years ago when her latest book came out. My sense is that she really is just like that lovely of a human. She is. Please that don't destroy lovely. that. Okay, good. She <laughs> is so warm and approachable and herself. Mm. She is just herself. And there's something about that that when you're around somebody like that, it inspires you to just be yourself, mm. you know, which you know what I mean? Like of when course. someone is just yeah. so like they're not trying to it's be anything best. else, it just puts everybody at ease. Yeah. You know, oh, I'm so glad to hear that. So are you there? I mean, Judy Bloom's books since they came out have been notoriously challenged and banned. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think about like the atheism in this one, the penises, the periods. Mm -hmm. These are things people get riled up about, Mm -hmm. Um, especially now we're in a time of, you know, even just like rampant book bans and challenges. What's it like to have this movie come out kind of with that cultural framing around it? You know, it's very uh, it's it's surreal because when we were making the film, this wasn't happening like it's more recent, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, and also there there's there's a legislation they're trying to push through in Florida that um, keeps girls from talking about their period until the sixth grade like that. And, you know, and and this is this book is winding up on on lists again. I just find it so absurd. And honestly, I think if you asked any woman across the political spectrum, like I don't think any woman would think this is controversial to talk about. Oh, my God. Going through puberty as a girl and getting your period. Like, these are things we need to talk about. And I honestly think this is something we can agree on. Mm. So I'm I can't wrap my brain around it is how I feel about it. I mean, the sixth grade thing is so like, could you imagine if you hadn't learned about it and you had it before then? How terrifying. Oh, yes. It, It would be. Yeah, it would be. It would be insane. And also good luck. Not, you know, having girls not talk about it. Like, I'm sorry. Good luck, man. (laughs) So it was interesting. um, As I was preparing for this interview, I came across an NPR story about you. I don't think you were in it. It was Mm. just about um, you being nominated for Edge of Seventeen. Oh, my God. I don't know if I've even ever heard that. Oh, that's funny. It was about like a study that was looking at the landscape of female directors at the time. Mm. And this was, of course, something that came out. What was it like five or six years ago at this point? Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, I think 
in some ways it has probably changed a lot in that time period. In other ways, it has not at all. I'm really curious from your point of view as a female director these days, like how how do you feel about where the industry is going? I Well, I first of all, I, I think that's such a good question. I have seen a huge change between that movie and this movie in, really? in this stretch of years. Yes. I That's interesting because you could, I mean, they're both coming of age movies yes, about uh, teenage girls. Wildly different experiences. And there's a, a few different factors, but I truly think things are moving in the right direction. We still have, we still have, you know, further to go clearly, but I, but I can tell you it's, it's a, it's a huge, huge, huge difference. I mean, it was a, par- it was a parade of rejection when I first w- went out with the edge of 17. Hmm. I mean, and it was a combo of, I was also a first time director, sure. which is also hard, yeah. you know, right. But being a first time female director, you walk in and you don't, you don't look the part, you know, and I, and that's, it's, that's, it's something to get over. Um, I remember though, at the time, I really, really, really didn't want to admit that to myself. I, I didn't. I didn't like the idea of that being part like of the, the because equation. Because I'm a woman. I, piece? N- yeah, never. I never ever could. Only honestly, only very recently have I, I been able to say that. Because I, wow. oh, I, you know, I would always say to myself, "Well, you didn't. You didn't work hard enough. You didn't. You didn't sell yourself hard enough. You, you know, you've got to go in there and be better. That's just what you got to do. And in some ways, I think that's." self-protective of course and it's and it's sort of giving me my own power it's giving me agency where i may not actually have any you know what i mean it's it's making it it's making me in control of it at least in my mind like i will be better and then i will you know finally get there right it's interesting because it's giving you more control but less at the same time right because it's also like you're imposing all of that stuff that you've been told your whole life about how if you just worked harder, then you can get all these things that is like, actually, that's not how the system right. is built, right? Yes, yes. But it's interesting to look back at my own sort of like emotional psychology around uh, the whole well, thing yeah. and how I I really just buckled down and worked harder, yeah. you know. And that's But awesome. now looking back, I'm like, wow, that was, that was tough. Hmm. Yeah. How much of it do you think was the Me Too movement versus... All of it. All of it. All of it started there. Wow. There was a huge, huge sea change after that. Huh. I feel like from my point of view, it's it seems like it would be really hard to kind of like pin down what that impact is. So it's really interesting to hear you say like, oh, yeah, no, for sure. Everything. Huge, huge change. Huh. I mean, it was starting to it was starting to turn sort of right before that a little bit, but it was inch by inch by inch. And then that just sort of like opened the open. floodgates in a lot of ways. Hmm. Um, and wh- in what sense did it change? There was just there was just a new push to get more women in the director's chair. There was just there was a new push for celebrating these types of stories and and supporting women telling them. That's really cool. Yeah, I love to hear that. Yeah. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for coming on. This was such a treat. Oh, thank you so much for having me.
All right, that's it for this week. Thank you, as always, for listening. Saturday is Independent Bookstore Day, which, of course, is a favorite nerd at holiday. We would love if you would tag us on Instagram with your favorite bookstore and what books you pick up this weekend. Or, of course, you can always post about it in our Facebook group, which is called Nerd at Headquarters. You can find that if you go to facebook.com slash groups slash Nerdette HQ. We can't wait to see all the books you pick up. Nerdette is produced by me and Anna Bauman. Our newsletter is built every week by J.P. Swenson and Brendan Banizak is our executive producer. We will see you next week. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.